see with people sitting in a meeting, having a job to stay awake. Familiar with that one? Or with people running, with their hearts pounding and adrenaline pumping? Which one is it more like? Well, tonight we're going to hear the Christian life is a matter of running. Not a leisurely jog round the streets of Loughborough, as we see a lot in our town, but really running for it, running from danger and running to catch something. Now, before we get into that, a bit about understanding the part of the Bible we've got to tonight. So let's turn to 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. That's where we've got to. 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. We're going to be hearing the message of this verse. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. But first of all, a word about how we understand the part of the Bible we've got to. This letter was written by the Apostle Paul 2,000 years ago. And it's become God's message to us today. But to get right what God is saying to us now we need to do some thinking. And it usually helps to first of all think, what was it saying to the person it was first written to? We don't always have to do this because sometimes we don't even know who it was first written to, but here we do. And it usually helps to think about that first. So, who is verse 11 written to, firstly? Well, it was written to Timothy. And what is Timothy called in verse 11? He's called Man of God. What does that mean? Well, it's a title that was given to prophets and leaders of Israel in the Old Testament. It's quite common in the Old Testament for people like Moses and Isaiah, leaders of Israel and prophets. In other words, it describes a leader of the church, whether the Old Testament church or New Testament church. So verse 11 is firstly to Timothy as a leader of the church. We've got who it's to, first of all. Then we have to ask, how does it apply to us today? Well, most obviously, it says what leaders of the church should do. So it has obvious relevance to leaders of the church today. What if you're not a leader of the church? Well, you need to know what to look for in in a leader of the church, because if you're a member of a church, you have some responsibility for that. And you need to know what to pray for leaders of the church because you have responsibility for that too. But there's another way it can apply to all of us and it's this. One reason leaders of the church need to do verse 11 is to be an example to the church. And examples are there to be followed. There's no point in the example if it isn't followed. And so that tells us, yes, verse 11 is for all of us. We all should be doing verse 11. Otherwise, Paul wouldn't have put it in here as an example that Timothy was to be. God wouldn't have put it in here as his word for us. Oh, by the way, what if you're not a Christian? Well, I hope you'll find verse 11 gives you an attractive pattern for life. But you won't manage it. You won't manage to do it until you have got new life by trusting in Jesus. He's given you new life, new birth. He died to bring new life to us. So you need to start by trusting him before you can do anything you're going to hear this evening. 
Well, bearing all that in mind, let's have a look. What does verse 11 tell us what to tell us to do? It's pretty simple. I think everything's going to be pretty simple this evening. What does it tell us to do? First of all, flee. Flee. Verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this. We're told, run away from all this. From all what? Well, obviously, what he's just said. Paul has just described the people around at the time who were teaching wrong things. Verses 3 to 10 are mainly negative. They've been describing people who are wrong. And now we're told, run away from all that. Run away from all those wrong characteristics. Let's have a look at some of the things we're to run away from. And we must start right back in verse 3. If anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ. First of all, false doctrine. Do you think of that as something to run away from? Wrong teaching. It seems to me that many people think, oh, there's lots of different churches and they have their different styles and there are quite a few different opinions about church, but it doesn't really matter too much. They all believe basically the same thing. Uh, It's not a matter of right or wrong. We can't be too black and white about things. The Bible here says, no, there are false teachings. And it does matter, and there is right and wrong, and there are wrong teachings you should run away from. They do damage. There's a first thing to run away from, false teaching. But verses 3 to 10 are not mainly about false teaching, they're mainly about false teachers, their character. So let's look at their character. Verse 4. Uh, A false teacher is picked out and described. He is conceited. Isn't that a horrible word, conceited? It's a nasty pride that is impressed with self. Someone who's impressed with themselves. Have you come across them? Are you one of them? Impressed with self. How nasty. And because of that, this person, verse 4 has an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. Now, we're going to see, I hope, next week that that Timothy is going to be told, you've got to fight the good fight of the faith. Sometimes you have to fight about things. But there is having an unhealthy interest in controversies. Do you like an argument? Do you like discovering that someone else is wrong and thinking, oh good, I can put them right? Wow, it's a very bad sign. Liking an argument, liking a controversy, liking to show up. Someone else is wrong and I am right. And that comes out another way in verse 4. It comes out in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, fault finding, gossiping. Comments that put other people down. How would you summarise all of this? How would you summarise this person? I think we could summarise him as self-absorbed. He's a self-absorbed person. It's all about himself. He thinks a lot of himself and it's certainly not about caring for others. And there's another angle on that self-absorption in verse 9 and 10. 
We seem to get a slightly different topic about money in verses 9 and 10, but it's, it's really the same thing, because the self-absorbed person is likely to, verse 9, want to get rich, and is likely to, verse 10, love money. It's another form of being self-absorbed, and it's all about self. Now, do you want to get rich? I used to think I wasn't bothered about money. And then I came across a prayer in Proverbs, and it said, Give me neither poverty nor riches. And I wasn't so sure I wanted to pray that. Because although I wasn't really gunning for riches, I I thought it would be nice one day to be rich. Sorry, you can all shoot me down afterwards for this, but I doubt I'm the only one here. Or maybe you convince yourself, I'm not that bothered about getting rich, but that's because you've defined rich as Jeff Bezos, $150 billion. Now, rich doesn't have to be that. I reckon that what most of us probably think of as just comfortable is actually very rich by the standards of most of the world. Wanting to be rich, loving money, another aspect of being self-absorbed. Put all of that together, and what an ugly picture it is. But it happens. It happens. And Paul's warning here, Timothy, because he knows it could happen to him. It happens to church leaders. I think of a church leader in the USA, quite a famous one. And he was popular, and he built a big church, and he sounded good, but over time people found he was an aggressive bully. It's the sort of description we've got here. And people found he was very critical of others, but he couldn't take any criticism of himself. Very brittle character. And then it was discovered he'd been passing off other people's work as his own to make money. And then it was discovered he'd been buying his own books so they'd get into the bestseller lists on the New York Times. (laughs) Who could think it could happen to a church leader? It did. That sort of thing has happened many, many times. Isn't it ugly? And it might seem very distant, but being self-absorbed and loving money will take you in that direction. It will get you using people, seeing them as just a way to get what you want. A bit of chasing money, a bit of pampering self, a bit of self-pity indulged, might not seem all that big a deal, but that's the direction it heads in, an ugly direction. And remember, even Timothy, a church leader, is told, run away from it, because you are not immune to it. So, we now are told in verse 11, flee, run away from all this. Flee. Let's think of an example of fleeing. Do you know what hair coursing is? They take a hare, one of those big rabbits, and it's released in a field with two dogs after it. I'm pretty sure it's illegal now in this country. And the hare doesn't need to be told, look, for us to have our fun, you've got to run. They don't have to tell the hare to run. They don't have to give it a hit to get it to run. It doesn't hang around to find out if the dogs are friendly. It doesn't go and sniff the dogs and have a play with them. It runs, and there is nothing laid back in how it runs. It runs for its life. And that's our picture. Do you see that being self-absorbed and loving money are two vicious dogs. Don't play with them. They'll harm you. Run. But here's the second thing we're told. Pursue. That was flee. This is pursue. 
As well as run away, we're told run towards. There's a negative getting away from something, and there's a positive running after something. What is it? Verse 11. Three pairs. There are three pairs. Righteousness and godliness, faith and love, endurance and gentleness. Let's just quickly run through the three pairs. First of all, righteousness and godliness. Now here in context, this isn't the righteousness of being clothed in Christ's righteousness, having his righteousness counted to us. Here in context, it's right living in practice. In other words, living according to God's law. Living in line with God's character. That's what righteousness is. In line with God's law and his character. And we're to do it out of godliness. Godliness is a big theme in 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Do you remember what godliness means? A life devoted to God. A life consecrated to God. Godliness is having God at the centre of every aspect of life. And here we're told it's something we must pursue. We must work at. How can I make sure God is in the centre of my way I approach work? My attitude to money, my doing jobs around the home, my things I read and watch, my way I relate to my neighbours and my family. How can I make sure that God's at the centre of them all? Righteousness out of godliness. Right living out of devotion to God. There's the first pair. Here's the second pair, faith and love. Now, remember, Timothy is being told, pursue these. Now, isn't that a bit odd? He's a church leader. Pursue faith. Doesn't he have faith already? Oh, yes, he does. But if we don't keep pursuing it, then faith is like, do you have any pot plants on your windowsill that haven't been watered enough? Yeah, It's ridiculous. I don't know why we have pot plants. That don't, we should have learnt by 42 years of life that you have to water them but for some reason keep forgetting, and they just wither and they die and shrivel up. And faith is like that. And so even Timothy has to be told, pursue faith. You've got to keep feeding it. You've got to keep your focus on Christ. You've got to keep reading God's word. You've got to keep praying for faith. It's God's gift. Pursue it. And Paul puts faith and love together. In fact, he often does in the Bible put faith and love together as a pair, Because the more faith we have in Christ's death for us, the more the love of God is poured out in our hearts. And the more the love of God is poured out in our hearts, the more we love because he first loved us. You see, this wonderful thing, pursuing faith, will end up being pursuing love. But notice there, he's told to pursue love. That's rather contrary to the way our society thinks. Love is just something out of your control. You have it or you don't. You can't really control it. No, it's something to pursue. Don't chase after falling in love. That might not be a bad thing, but don't chase after falling in love. Chase after loving others. And here's a third pair, endurance and gentleness. Now, these go together well because endurance is patience in difficult circumstances. And gentleness is patience with difficult people. Do you see, they're very similar. Endurance is patience when circumstances are difficult. Gentleness is patience when people are difficult. 
So endurance and gentleness actually are different ways of bearing with. I think a large part of the Christian life is bearing with. A large part of being in a church is bearing with. Bearing with the difficult things people get, sorry, the difficult things God brings into your life and bearing with the difficult people God brings into your life. Have you got any difficult people in your life? You ever say, oh, people are so irritating. People do such silly things. People are so difficult sometimes. Good. That's good. Be glad. Because it's a chance to do this verse. It's an opportunity to pursue endurance and gentleness. You are never going to do verse 11 if you are continually wrapped in cotton wool and just surrounded by the loveliest of people. So remember that the next time someone is difficult or irritating. A chance to pursue endurance and gentleness. In how you treat them, in how you speak to them and about them, and in how you think. Gentleness there also. Well, can you think of people who pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness? I hope you can. Maybe you think of Christians you've read biographies of. I think of a man called Robert Murray McShane. He was a minister in Scotland. He died in his late 20s. But even in that young life, he'd had such an effect because he pursued righteousness, godliness and so on. I read his biography as as a student and it really inspired me. Or maybe you think of Christians you've known personally, who've been a good example to you. Maybe older Christians who influenced you when you were younger. Or maybe you think, can you think of anyone who pursued righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness? Maybe you think of the Lord Jesus. It's well worth going through his life and spotting his righteousness, always in line with God's law and his godliness so devoted to his father. And his faith. Do you think of Jesus as a man of faith? He had to exercise faith. Even there on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We often put the focus on the forsaken, but focus on this. He said, my God, you're still my God. I'm still trusting you. Even in the worst position anyone has ever been in in history. Love. Hardly need to say anything, do I? A man of love. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Endurance, did he endure? Oh yes, he endured. He he set his face to go to Jerusalem and he endured a trial and scourging and mocking and the cross and he didn't come down. Gentleness, can you spot any gentleness in his life? Did he have any difficult and irritating people around? Oh yeah, even his disciples, so dim-witted, so slow to get it, and so gentle he was with them. We have an ugly picture in the first point. Isn't this a beautiful picture now? Pursue it. Will you pursue it? Will you become that good example to others? Some of us, I'm sure, I'm not the only one here, who can think of, when we were younger the good example we benefited from older Christians. Well, isn't it about time we became that good example to Christians younger than us? 
So pursue it. Let's think of a picture of pursuing something. When I was at school, once a year we had something called the hare and hounds race. We used to dread this because someone would get picked to be the hare and we'd sit there waiting to hear who it was and we dreaded being picked to be the hare. And they'd be dressed up in silly clothes and then in front of all the boys in the year, sent out to run across the school field and through the town and out into the countryside and then the rest of us were the hounds and we were sent off to chase down the hare. And off we would roar with this burst of enthusiasm down the school field, across the road. It was all very non-health and safety. And then you'd just have to keep going. The enthusiasm would wear off, but you had to keep going, keep going, chase down that hair, get points for your house. Well, I hope you have enthusiasm to chase after being like Jesus. But keep going, keep going. Chase that righteousness. Chase that godliness. Chase that love and faith. Chase after that endurance and gentleness. As you chase after them, here's here's a simple thing to bear in mind. It's really simple and obvious, but it's this. They are in the opposite direction to the things described in verses 3 to 10. They are in opposite directions. I know that's really obvious, but it's worth saying. There was a man called Ambrosiaster. He didn't make custard. He was one of the first Christian writers. And he made this simple point. He said, these qualities in verse 11 are incompatible with the love of money. They are in the opposite direction to the love of money. These these ancient Christians weren't always complicated. Nice, simple point. They're in the opposite direction. So if you are running after chasing money, that's your aim. If you are running after impressing other people, you're absorbed with self, then you are not running after righteousness. You aren't. You can't be doing both. They're in opposite directions. You can't split yourself two ways. If you're running after chasing money and impressing other people, you are not running after righteousness, godliness. Faith, love, endurance, gentleness. So you better make your mind up which one you're going to go after because they are in opposite directions. Okay, we've had flee, we've had pursue. Thirdly, we're going to have how. How? How do we pursue these things? Verse 11 says, pursue them. What does it tell us about how to pursue them? What does 1 Timothy 6 tell us about how to pursue them? Well, it's one of those annoying trick questions, because the answer is, it doesn't. And it's significant that it doesn't. I'm pointing that out intentionally. It's significant that it doesn't. There isn't a secret to learn. There isn't a spiritual technique to master. There isn't some method that you've got to discover, hidden and tucked away in here. Now, of course, it isn't just a matter of our willpower and our strength. Come on, grit your teeth and run. We need new birth. We need the Holy Spirit. But the person who has new birth and the Holy Spirit doesn't need to learn a course on holiness and how to master it. We simply need to be told what to run from and what to run to. We need to be shown the ugliness of sin and the beauty of righteousness. And then if we've got a new heart, aren't we going to run from that and run to that? 
No one teaches the hare, you've got to run away from those dogs. It's inherent in the hare, and it should be inherent in the person with the new heart. Run from that, run to that. Now, is, of course, I'm not saying the Bible tells us nothing about how to do it. Of course, the Bible tells us plenty to help us. Ephesians says, recognise what Jesus has done for you and in you, and then live his way. Romans says, rely on the work of the Holy Spirit. You won't do it by just keeping rules. You need the Holy Spirit. Galatians says, you began by faith, carry on by faith. Hebrews says, you don't do this on your own. You need other people. Hebrews also says, look to Jesus and run. And Psalm 119, Colossians, so many places say, you do it as God's word fills you. But none of these are some special technique to the Christian life. It's not there's some technique that's the key to the Christian life. I wonder if you've heard of people called the Gnostics. Gnostics, beginning with G. They were these people around in the second century AD. And they troubled the church by teaching there is some secret knowledge we've got. Gnostic means it's to do with knowledge. There's some secret knowledge we have, and that's the key to the Christian life, and you need it. And the church has been troubled by this sort of idea ever since. Whether it's the Roman Catholic priest saying, you need me to be saved, or the 21st century Christian bookseller saying, you need the secret to the Christian life that my book has. Or you need this method to grow in the Christian life. When people start making that sort of claim, feel free to take no notice. The Bible isn't like that. It's not a book of methods and techniques. God hasn't made the Christian life some sort of puzzle with secret techniques to discover. I don't know if this example will help you. I hope it will. The Hunger Games is a story of a reality show. You know these reality TV shows? People go on and they kill each other's character. But in this one, they went and killed each other literally. It was only a story. And these teenagers, they have to compete and fight to be the last person alive in the the arena. And they had to run. They have to run to get supplies before the others do. They have to run to get away from each other and to get away from vicious wild animals. There's a lot of having to run. But... The Christian life isn't like the Hunger Games, because in the Hunger Games there are these game makers, and they are trying to catch you out. And there are all sorts of hidden traps, and there are puzzles you've got to work out if you're going to survive. And and they're trying to catch you out through all sorts of secret things you've got to discover. The Christian life isn't like that. God says you've got to run, But, but it's with God watching over us as our Father. He's not trying to catch us out. He's trying to work at growing us to maturity. That means he does bring hurdles into the race. And he does bring things that we've got to pursue and he doesn't just drop them on our lap while we sit in our armchair. But that's because he's a good father. And a good father doesn't want to develop a couch potato or a spoilt brat. God pushes us to run. Because he wants children who have enthusiasm and initiative and responsibility. But he's doing it as a father. And as a father who supplies everything we need so we can run. And he supplies it in the Lord Jesus. 
And he hasn't made this a puzzling secret for us to discover and some really clever super-Christians discover it and the rest of us are baffled wondering how on earth do you live this Christian life. No, he's shown us it all in the Bible and it tells us all about salvation in Jesus and then it says, look how ugly sin is, look how beautiful righteousness is, now you know the direction, run, run. And... We run with our Father in control and we run with our Saviour watching from the finish line. So have a look at verse 13. We run with our Father watching in the sight of God and we run in the sight of Christ Jesus. He's on the finish line because he's already done it before us. He testified by four Pontius Pilate and made the good confession. He's finished the race. He's done the running himself. And verse 14 says, we're doing it all heading towards him coming back. He's coming back. He's going to appear again. We're running with our Father in control and with our Saviour watching from the finish line because he's already finished the race. It's a bit like this. I've got my back to being self-absorbed and loving money. I've got to put it behind me. Ahead of me is righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. I've got to run for them. But they're in the same direction as Jesus because he ran for them too. And he's at the finish line and he's watching me as I run. And I'm running towards him. And he's watching me, not as an inspector to mark me down, but as my coach. The coach who's proved himself worthy because he's run the race. And he's encouraging me on towards him. So, fellow Christian, run. The Christian life isn't idle, it's a race. It's a race with hurdles. It's a race with opportunities to grab. And it's a race where running actually invigorates you for later stages. It strengthens your legs to keep going, even right up to the finish line. So which way are you going to run this week? Which direction are you going to run? This week, what are you going to do to pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness?